Welcome to Grind, Grind, Sell, Sell, Elevate, Elevate, with your host, Tizer Evans, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the top minds in all areas of business, entrepreneurship, sales, and leadership. Let's elevate together. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining me on Grind, Sell, and Elevate. I've got Colleen Francis with me today, who's the founder of Engage Selling, also an author of a very popular sales book, Nonstop Sales Boom. Uh, Colleen, how are you today? Hey, I'm great. Thanks. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. Excited to talk to you. Um, I love following your content on LinkedIn. Uh, you've got great YouTube videos. You put out a lot of great free content, which is always, which is always really nice. Uh, but for maybe people who are not familiar with you and your work, uh, could you go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. Colleen Francis, as you as you so eloquently put, um, you can find me everywhere. Um, I'm engagedselling.com, but uh, all you have to do is a quick Google search and you'll see, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. <laughs> um, and my specialty is working with, you know, sellers and organizations who work in complex sales situations. It's generally business to business. Um, I like to work with salespeople who want to get and keep a relationship as opposed to sell and leave. <laughs> right. um, highly competitive markets. That's where I really like to roll up my sleeves and, and have a lot of fun with organizations. Yeah, it's like probably my market insurance. It's somewhat competitive. <laughs> Only somewhat. <laughs> Some, somewhat, right? Um, exactly. One of the first things I wanted to, to ask you about, because I don't think I covered enough on here, but it's one of the things that I felt it's really helped me in my career, was setting goals for salespeople. And, and I saw a, a recent video you had done kind of talking on goal setting. So I thought that'd be a good place for us to start and how, how you view goal setting and what you think is important about it for salespeople. Yeah, you know, I think there's a couple of things. Well, from a leadership perspective, I think that there's a couple of things. You know, goals have to be set. Um, that are in alignment with what the company wants to achieve um, and, and what they need to achieve. And they need to be communicated and they need to, be, a pathway needs to be created, right? So a lot of people forget that. They just throw the goal out there and no one really knows if it's achievable or not. Mm. And salespeople will notoriously look at it and say, well, that's not achievable. Yeah. Um, and so they, because they can't see the pathway to success. So that has to be created. You know, but I think with salespeople as well, you know, inside of that, there's opportunities for them to also set their own goals. You Maybe you want to achieve more than what's being asked of you or achieve it differently. Or maybe, you know, in your marketplace, in your territory, you can achieve that goal with, a, with you know, um, you know, more net new clients or repeat clients or new products coming on board. So I think all of those things are important. You know, salespeople are, we're, we're notoriously competitive. We have to be. And so we've got to be goal oriented. Um, it's the only way to really create that success. No, I know. I really appreciate that. And you said something about, you know, uh, oftentimes uh, corporate will set a, a goal, right? And I've had this happen to me several times over my career. I'm like, how did yeah. they come up with this freaking number? Like, it's just, yeah. it's a complete mystery. And not every sales leader does a great job of laying out that path. So if I'm listening to this, and I'm like, hey, that's me. This is my situation. Is there something that an individual seller should be looking at in order to hit that metrics, even though they don't really can't conceptualize yeah. from a 30,000 foot view? Well, I think there's two things. First of all, you have to separate out the, um, out of your goal, how much is it going to come from new business versus repeat business because you have very different closing ratios there. Um, and I think that's important. So then if you take the new business goal, 
um, then the first step is understanding what your conversion ratio is. So what is the closing ratio from qualified leads, let's call it that, qualified opportunities to close and take that percentage and multiply it, right? So, you know, if you have $100,000 new business you have to do and you've got a closing ratio of 30%, you need $300,000 of qualified opportunities in order to close that. And that number is really important to be real about, honest about, because, you know, your closing ratio is not always what people have in their CRM. You know, I see all sorts of shenanigans, right? <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> people who only put real deals in the pipeline, so your closing ratio looks 75%. I mean, that's just BS, right? <laughs> to, be, to be frank. Um, and so, you know, if you don't know, then 30% is about average for most people. Um, so I, I take a look at that and then I say, okay, let's let's go back again and see how many, what's my conversion ratio from, let's just call it names on a business card to that qualified opportunity. Because that number could be anywhere from 10% or to 90% depending on your market. And what that does is it tells you how many leads do I need? How many qualified opportunities do I need to get to the right amount of closes? And then you can break it down all the way if you want to say, okay, how many outreaches is that every day? But that's how you, that's how, that's the easiest way to create the path. And I think that that's so powerful understanding every day to have a game plan and have a target daily. Cause you know, I, I stole a, a saying from Andy Frisella, you know, if you, if you win every day, you can't lose. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's all well, sales is. True. Absolutely. And, you know, I was working with an organization who had a high amount of repeat business and they were given a new business goal and they all just said, looked at it and said, there's no, no way we can create this. There's no way. And they went through, you know, an hour of whining and, and justification of why it couldn't be done. And we broke down the math and realized all it meant was they had to create two opportunities a week in order for them to hit their goal. Not two leads, two opportunities. And when they looked at that, they went, oh, well, that's manageable. But they had overestimated the amount of work it was going to take and thought, oh, my God, like, you know, 10 or 20 opportunities a week. I don't have time for that. So when we broke it down, they went, oh, OK. And now they can, to quote you, win every day. It's easy. Absolutely. And you said another key thing. Uh, you talked a little bit about, you know, entering stuff into the CRM system. <laughs> and, you know, we use, we use Salesforce where I work and um, it's a very effective tool, but I found that um, not always reps will take advantage of their CRM system. You know, walk us through, you know, how you view a CRM system and, and kind of your thoughts on that and how to utilize it. Yeah. So I, I think of my CRM system as like my brain replicated over here. So I have two, <laughs> right? Because when you're a busy sales rep, and you're managing multiple clients, multiple stakeholders in those clients, multiple products, multiple opportunities, multiple leads. There's just no way for you to remember all of that. And things slip through the crack. Um, so I really see it as a sales productivity tool from that standpoint. I loved, you know, when I worked for a larger organization, being able to come in in the morning and look at my checklist, my to-do list or my hot list or whatever, and be able to prioritize my day based on what needed to be done, as opposed to sitting down and drinking coffee and thinking, okay, who do I have to call again today? Like, you know, <laughs> the ability to not have to think about staying organized. Plus, you know, I think from a productivity standpoint, it's critical because it allows you to look in real time at your pipeline and make decisions about who needs activity, who needs um 
calls, emails, nurturing, whatever that is, on the priority of those deals, what's left to close in the month, as opposed to, you know, clients and you know, I can't make this stuff up who walk in and say, well, today sounds like an M day. So I'll just start calling all the M prospects. Like, you know I mean, that's, it's very much akin, that kind of sales mentality is very much akin to like the old root sales um, people. And I was working with a client um, a couple of years ago, we were on site for a leadership team meeting and we were talking about selling and strategic selling. And one of them pulled out, he had found in the archive, the sales training manual that they had been given, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago, that showed if you make only right-hand turns on your route, you can make more calls in a day. <laughs> Who sounds like that? But, you know, people still kind of think in, in those kinds of businesses, well, it's Tuesday, so I'll make my Tuesday clients as opposed to being strategic about it. And that's what the CRM helps you to do. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I've always, I found that to be interesting with people. I've heard that same sentiment like, yeah, you know, I come in the morning and uh, I just kind of pick random 20 people and just to kind of get the juices flowing. I'm like, that is a terrible strategy. It is a terrible, terrible strategy. You know, the numbers that your CRM um, produces are your metrics. And, you know, looking at those metrics is so critical because if you're overestimating your close rate by double, then you're not doing enough work. If you're underestimating it, maybe you're doing the wrong work. Mm. Um, and so, you know, the numbers might not look pretty all the time, right? It's not about whether they're good or bad. They are just what they are. And I always laugh because sales reps will say, well, the data's wrong. But like, you put it in there, right? <laughs> so I tell them garbage in and garbage stays <laughs> right. when it comes to your CRM, right? So it's a critical tool. Um, and, you know, whether you use Salesforce or, or um, you know, Vanilla Soft or uh, any of the other um, CRMs, I think it's irrelevant. I do have some clients who run $100 million businesses on spreadsheets. I don't recommend that. Well, I mean, that's not a good idea. Right. But they're still using some kind of tracking tool to understand the metrics. From an executive perspective, it's your crystal ball. Like, you know, if you have to go to the your leadership team and say, this is my forecast. It needs to be accurate. Otherwise it's your head that's going to roll. Right. Right. There's the guillotine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You only get away with that for so many quarters before somebody um, gets in trouble. Yeah, totally. And one of the things I did want to talk to you about too, is it always amazes me. I, you don't know this, but I've managed hundreds of sales reps and were the ones that uh, typically are, are struggling, you know, one of my f first questions, you know, is like, Hey, let's take a look at your pipeline. Right. You know, what do, what do you got going on? Are you calling the same 20 people or who are you calling? But talk to us a little bit about how to kind of grow that funnel. You know, Cause it's always amazing to me. Um, people's perception on how often and how long they should be prospecting. Yeah, it's a, that's a great question because I think people underestimate that all the time. Um, so a couple of things, you know, I think, in this marketplace, especially, and it's been like this for you know five or so years, but it's really exaggerated now. It takes a lot of repetitive work with the same people or organizations to actually get in the door. And so, you know, it's not just a matter of sending three emails and the guy not returning your call, and you saying, "Well, that's, I'm done with that." Right? If it's yeah. a good-looking lead, like you know, from a business perspective, it might be you need to reach out to more people. 
Uh, some of my clients are reporting it can take, you know, now up to 12 attempts in various types of media to get someone's attention if that person is cold, right? If they have a referral or you've got some kind of link, then that's going to um, accelerate your success. Um, so I think that that's really important. And I think what's critical for salespeople is um, in that prospecting effort is to mix up the media, right? So you can't just pick up the phone. You have to send emails. You've got to connect with them on LinkedIn or whatever the social platform is. You have to network with them in whatever forums they're networking in because people are not going to respond um, as well as they used to, to a pure cold call, like I used to do in the insurance business, like literally open the white pages, if people remember what that is, and just start calling, right? <laughs> That's just, people don't pick up their phones for those, those kinds of calls anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, so I think that that's critical. And then I think, you know, you've just got to work backwards with the math. I'm not a fan of saying to anybody, make 20 calls a day, or whatever the number is, or spend two hours a day. My uh, my formula is what is the right number based on the metrics that uh, your conversion ratios are telling you and that's how many calls have to be made. And if it's 50, well, then we have to maybe look at a little bit more detailed nuanced analysis using, you know, uh, some sales velocity, maybe your deal size is too small or something, but. No, I love that. And it's so funny the the uh, last organization I was with, it was make 80 dials a day. And yeah. I, as a rep, when I started there, I, I did my own conversion ratios because it wasn't provided for us. I figured out I needed to make 47 to either to hit my target number. And right. So yeah, I, and then I would get, I would get hit on all the time. Like, Hey, you're not making your $80 a day, but I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm number one in, in the country as far as a rookie. And I'm number six overall, like whatever I'm doing is working. And, and so I've saw that happen with my team. Some guys I would, I would, uh, and gals, I would have scheduled for 57 calls. Other would be, you know, 23, just based on their own conversion ratio. So I think that that's a really key point that not enough people talk about. Absolutely. To me, like that random 80 number is just like a vanity metric. It's stupid. I had a client who, um, uh, he, he doubled his results. He was a number one sales rep at the end of the year. And I think he did double what the number two guy did yet. And he was in the agricultural um, business and, uh, then the owner said, well, you didn't put as much miles on your truck as everybody else. So you're not, you clearly weren't doing the work. So you're not going to get your full bonus. Oh, but, whoa. And yeah, exactly. Because they did some uh, MBO type non-transparent bonuses. And he's like, but don't you think you should be looking at what I'm doing? Because I'm actually more profitable. I doubled my results and I spent less on gas. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> completely misaligned, right? So I think leaders have to look at that. If, you're, if you've got an outlier on the team, um, a client of mine in software did this. She said, and she was smart. She said, we need to figure out what this person is doing because her demos are half as long as everyone else's and her closing ratio is twice as good. So what is she doing on those demos that she can close twice as many deals in 20 minutes as opposed to the 45 minutes taking everybody else? Yeah, I love that. And, and th this is a... It was something that just kind of spurred the moment. I want, just kind of came to mind. How important is it to give um, autonomy to salespeople to kind of let them run their own little shop? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a great question. A bit of a loaded question, I think. Yes. You know, I think, 
And my attitude as a sales VP was always that I gave my team latitude if they were hitting their targets, but if they were consistently behind, then they were going to do it my way. <laughs> um, so I, I do think, you know, I think that some sales reps can have autonomy in that they know how many calls they need to make, or they know how many leads that they need. Um, but that doesn't mean that they need to be, they're so autonomous that they can't be coached or shouldn't be coached. Because I do think that you need to check in with people, you know, just, I mean, I use sporting analogies all the time and, you know, regardless of, um, of what kind of sport you watch, if, you know, if we think about someone like Tom Brady, who everyone generally knows, regardless of whether you're a sports fan or not. Right. I mean, arguably the best football uh, quarterback out there has been for a long time, yet he's, still has to show up to practice, right? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't get away with not being coached. Um, he'd probably get fined if he wasn't yeah. showing up at practice. <laughs> and that's because the coaches need to check in on what kind of results he's, you know, achieving, what needs to be leveraged, what can he be doing more of that's working, and what does he need to try to fix at the pinch point for the team? And, and your sales team is exactly the same thing. No, I love that. The practice is huge. And I've talked about before a little bit on the podcast, but it, um, even actually on, on the last one, uh, I was chatting with the gentleman who's, a, who's an entrepreneur. And we were kind of talking about that, just that how many people, when they graduate high school or college, they kind of stop learning. And you know, if you take sports as an analogy, like they, they show up and they practice every day. And like, just because yeah. you're in sales, you're an engineer, doesn't mean you shouldn't practice your craft. It's crazy. Yeah, we are really, as business professionals, we are the only professional out there that plays more than we practice. You know, if you're a music professional, an acting professional, uh, you know, or a sports professional, you practice way more than you play, right? And so whether you're winning or losing, the practice is, is critical. And I think we should be paying attention to that um, because, you know, the these are the people we look at as being the, you know, ultimate and ultimate um, people in their professions when they make the New York Philharmonic or they make the, you know, Tampa Bay Lightning, whatever, right? <laughs> and look at what their rigor is. And, and kind of staying on that practice mindset, um, just, you know, an, another story. I was uh, in that last organization, I was the only sales manager that had a, a sales meeting every day from 8 to 8 30. And my thought process behind that was I want to get all the troops uh, on the mission for the day. Everybody's in alignment. And oftentimes I would spend uh, you know, two or three days a week just doing role playing, just kind of getting them fresh. And the, the feedback from my reps was <laughs> the call with Ty and the role play is going to be my worst one of the day. So whatever I'm going to face, you know, it's going to be nothing compared to that role play. But I want to get your thought on how much a sales manager or sales leader should be implementing their own kind of little mini practices throughout the week or month. Yeah, it's great. So my magic formula is three hours per month per rep. Now, that doesn't mean one-on-one -on -one time. That can be some of that session. But that, that's the metric that I'm looking for at an absolute baseline. If you've got a super junior team or a team that's underperforming, you might have to do more than that, but you should never do less than that. Um, and so the practice, I think, comes in a number of ways. I think that there definitely should be some role-playing. Um, I think there should be some discussion and feedback on successes. I, salespeople learn really well when they're learning from their peers. And so I like to see um, sessions where people bring either difficult 
cases or wins into the meeting and they're dissected, not just like, hey, I went out and I presented to this guy and I won, you know, and it, it, but, but detail, like what, what questions did you ask? Who did you talk to inside that um, account? How long did it take you? Because the more detail that you get out on the how they accomplish that, the rest of the reps sit back and they're like, oh, okay, well, if Ty can do that, I can do that too, right? Yeah. learn from each other that way. So I think that's really important. Yeah, that's very powerful. And when it comes to one of the things I, I've heard you, you speak on and, and talk about that I think that it's, it's really pivotal and it's overlooked because we're so on to the next kill is um, looking at the customers that we've already cultivated. So talk to us a little bit about like how, how do you look for business there and how do you kind of keep those people fresh? Yeah, it's a great, um, a great point. And I love talking about this. We actually talked about it in nonstop sales boom because we talked about building a sales radar where you're, you're constantly looking to fill your pipeline from various sources, new and existing customers. It's amazing to me how many people don't sell more to their existing customers and how many customers don't buy more from you simply because they don't know that more exists. Mm. it's crazy you know people be like well I didn't know you, you sold that I should know <laughs> so I do think it takes some kind of um it, it's a deliberate systematic approach right um categorizing your accounts and so I'm not a believer in categorizing accounts into like best versus worst or biggest versus smallest I like a new more nuanced approach where you're actually looking at potential to grow Mm. And those that have high potential to grow are treated one way. And those that have low potential to grow are treated another way. Keep in mind, some of those low potential to grow could be some of your biggest accounts. They just, you know, they have full share of wallet with you. So there's nothing that you can sell. Sure. Um, and then once you know who have the huge potential to grow, then mapping out a plan to show them what those solutions are, how they're going to benefit them, find out who the right people are to talk to um, and add those prospecting activities to your, to your, your daily work. I really like that approach because it's so often, and it, you know, um, as you know, especially in insurance, you, know, you get the whale hunters, right. And they're, and yeah. they're so fixated, like on the big score where, you know, I've always looked at, like, it didn't matter if I was selling auto insurance or health insurance to a company if it's a company with four people versus 400, I want to give them the same amount of attention and love because they never know where that referral is going to be or what other lines you can get from them. And I, I just, I've always hated that way of looking at uh, clients. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And you know, it's so, it's, it can be so easy. So I worked with a company who essentially was a third-party logistics company um, who did like shipping and receiving, right? So people would farm out all of their shipping requirements. So kind of a commodity market. They're probably going crazy right now with the lack of oh, drivers on the road. But you know, they increased their business by 25% simply by adopting the McDonald's approach. Um, because what they would normally do is someone would call in and say, I need, you know, X, I need, this is the load and it's going from, you know, Houston to, to Nashville and it needs to be there by Tuesday. And they'd say, okay, great. And they'd set it up. But then I got them to just say, is there anything else you're working on that I can help you with? 25% increase in sales from that one question. One question because guys are like, oh, as you, yeah, you know what? Good question. I've got this other one. It just came across my desk. It's crazy. Simple question. Hey? <laughs> right. Low hanging fruit. That's all it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the, the last questions I wanted to ask was based on kind of comp structure, you know, comp plans can be, uh, I've experienced it, uh, extremely convoluted, 
Um, do you have a favorite structure or one you kind of try to steer people in, or is it based on vertical? How do you kind of view that when you're helping your clients? <laughs> so my first rule is remembering that salespeople do exactly what they're paid to do. Mm. So you have to remember that because however you structure your comp plan is exactly the behavior you're going to get. Um, so that's rule number one. Rule number two is it has to be transparent. So I am not a fan and I've got a client. I, I will not ever move him off of this. He holds some of his comp plan back because he wants to give it to the people he think are, well, they're working harder than others. Who's working, you know, in his own subjective, right? right? That's the person who's making 80 calls instead of 47, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so none of that. <laughs> and then in most industries, um, I like a, a, a pretty equal balance between salary and, um, and variable compensation. I will never advocate for 100% commission. Um, it actually, in, in most states and provinces in Canada, it's not even truly legal against, you know, when it comes to labor code, if, you're, if they're employees. But regardless of that, I just don't think that it's the right way to motivate people to the right behaviors. Mm -hmm. So some kind of base salary, depending on the marketplace um, and uh, what, you know, and, and your experience in the marketplace. And then a compensation plan or a variable compensation plan that um, rewards both achievement um, and then maybe some accelerator goals, depending on what the company is trying to, to accomplish but as simple as possible. Yeah, I think that, I think you hit it right in the head because I've experienced it where it's like, hey, we're going to give you a, a, you know, a 25K base. You're like, cool, well, you know, I can't feed my family for six months until I get my pipeline up, so thanks, see you later. Or they give you, you know, hundred. everybody's looking for a 150K salary and then you're like, well, then are you too comfortable to, to really push the envelope? Yeah, there's a balance there. And I think it's important, like the, the comp plan has to be achievable, right? So people have to see that they can actually hit those goals, um, which I think is really important. And it has to be simple enough that they could actually figure out how much they're going to get paid on the back of a napkin. Mm. Like salespeople will, you know, right or wrong, notoriously, they think if it's so complicated, they don't know how they're going to get paid, then they just naturally think the company's doing that on purpose to screw them. Yeah. Like that's, that's, yeah. that's their brain just goes, well, this is unachievable. Or they're just trying to, you know, to cheat me out of um, a commission. So it has to be really simple that, that way so that they can calculate it. Um, and I think there has to be a balance. So like, you know, it's high risk, high reward. And frankly, if someone came to me and said, you know, I want $150,000 base, and maybe that was my, you know, full comp package, you know, the solution to that is okay then your upside is really slim, but you've got two quarters in, you know, two quarters in a row, like, and your risk now is no job. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can't have it both ways. So if you want a high base, then my tolerance for you not hitting your target has gone way down. <laughs> right. M makes, makes total sense. Um, Colleen, now, uh, when it comes to your book, where can people get the book that you have out? And do you have anything else coming up on the horizon? Yeah. I mean, everything's always available on Amazon, right? Um, so yeah. I have um, nonstop sales boom is out. It's been out for about four or five years mm -hmm. and I have a book launching in the new year. Um, I think I just saw that it uh, it's available for pre-order, but it's not being shipped until like March 29th. So <laughs> I 
want to be fair with everybody, um, called Right on the Money, uh, which I'm really excited about because we wrote it and then the pandemic hit and then we completely rewrote it <laughs> based on what, what had happened over the last 18 months. So I'm excited to have that one out there. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you. And where can people find you? Uh, where would be the best place to find you, follow your content? Yeah, you can find me on my website, engagedselling.com, and sign up for a bunch of free content. Um, LinkedIn is also a really good, good place, you know, we're, we're doing, um, you know, probably once a month, and we'll ramp that up in the new year, um, maybe to once a week, LinkedIn Live, free training sessions that are usually 30 to 45 minutes as well. Um, but yeah, those are two, those are the easiest places, our LinkedIn and my website. Awesome. Thank you so much. Everybody listening, and whether you're watching this on YouTube or uh, any of the know, 30 podcast outlets, uh, everything will be in the show notes to be able to buy uh, Colleen's book, pre-order the new one or connect with her. Um, and Colleen, any uh, last words of advice for any of those sellers out there? Well, I just think, you know, keep learning, right? That I have um, been selling for, you know, 30 odd years and I've seen more change in the last two years than I have seen in the 20 previous years. And, you know, just like we morphed from, you know, pay phones to pagers to beepers to cell phones, <laughs> car phones to cell phones to smartphones. Um, we need to continue to evolve in our selling practices because, man, if you're selling by doing stuff that worked in the 70s or the 80s, um, as I see many people doing today, um, yeah, it's terrible, right? Um, and so I like to say, think about best practices now as being dynamic. It may have been a best practice last week with that customer, but it might not be the right best practice this week with this customer. And so you need to have that expanded toolbox. Yeah. Wonderful advice. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.